This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by PepsiCo. PepsiCo, come alive. You're in the Pepsi generation. Under the outdoor with a steamboat, into goblins and wild loads. Come at the grand line, making a sound. The smell of death is on the rail. And at night when the cold wind blows, no one cares, nobody. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1964's Straight Jacket and 2013's Mama. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Slash card. Slash cards. You want to give me your first question? So since this is a Mother's Day week... I thought it appropriate to ask some uh, holiday questions. Name five what? Ho- horror movies that take place on or near Christmas. On or near Christmas. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've done a few. We have. I'll try to mix it up a little bit. Oh. Okay. Red Christmas. Mm-hmm. Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. I won't do the remake of Black Christmas just to keep it sporting. <laughs> Krampus. Mm-hmm. Silent Night, Bloody Night. Mm-hmm. And we did so many. I know. I mean, we did like six. Six. Dismembering Christmas. There you go. All right. That's five. Dang. We also did. Better Watch Out, and the Black Christmas remake. Mm-hmm. All right. Kelsey. Yes. Name two horror movies starring Patrick Wilson. Insidious. Uh-huh. And The Conjuring. That is correct. That's actually what it has listed on the back. What else has he done? Insidious 2. Uh-huh. And The Conjuring 2. Yep. And The Conjuring 3 is about to come out. And he wasn't in Insidious 3 or, or Insidious the Key or whatever. We never um, saw 4. No. And he, I mean, you like to make the argument that Hard Candy is a horror movie? Yes. I don't think it is, but there you go. I know you don't think it is. That's why I got <laughs> taken off the list. All right. Let's move on to our first movie of the week, 1964's. Straight Jacket, written by Robert Block, directed by William Castle, and starring Joan Crawford, Diane Baker, and Leif Erickson, or Leif Erickson, I, however you want to pronounce that. <laughs> Kelsey, what is the premise of Straight Jacket? A woman in a jealous rage murders her husband and her husband's lover, goes to an insane asylum for 20 years, gets out... And then the question is, is she still killing people? Bum, bum, bum. All right, Kelsey, this is available to rent or buy. It is not freely streaming, but it's available to rent or buy pretty much everywhere. Google, iTunes, Amazon, YouTube even. You can rent it for as low as three bucks. Should people watch it? If you want to watch a horror movie about a crazy mom, it's not great. All right, that's a ringing endorsement. 
So go ahead and watch the movie or don't. <laughs> and when we get back, we will talk about 1964's Straight Jacket. From the loneliness and simplicity of an isolated farm to the sophisticated elegance of a country estate, Straight Jacket mounts to a crescendo of electrifying suspense. Sinister. <gasps> Frightening. Joan Crawford in a shattering screen portrayal. A frantic woman pressured by straitjacket tension. Leave me alone! Ingeniously designed to shock and startle, straitjacket may go beyond the limits of your ability to endure suspense. Mother! Oh my God! The author of the famed novel Psycho. The director of the widely acclaimed chiller, Homicidal. The co-star of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Join forces to create a frightening classic of shock and suspense. Kelsey, straight jacket is spelled S-T-R-A-I-T hyphen jacket. Sometimes without the hyphen, though. I learned something when I watched this movie. I had no idea it was spelled that way. And I pride myself on knowing how to spell things. But uh, apparently it has less with being straight and more about like dire straits, which are like hardships. So it's a jacket that's supposed to make things difficult for you. It's Ah. a straight jacket. Ah. I had no idea. But now I do. Yay! Because of 1964's Straight Jacket. Yes. What happens in Straight Jacket, Kelsey? So we open up with a resounding scream of... Yes. No! And a news extra. Extra, extra. extra. Declared insane, jealous lover. And then some swinging jazz music. Yes! Extra! Extra! Read all about it! Love Slayer Insane! Lucy Harbin was declared legally insane today. What a hell of a way to start a movie. Yes, it starts with a bang, for sure. (laughs) And then we get a voiceover describing what we're watching... Where a man goes into a bar, and he's with this girl, he goes back to his house. This man is Lee Majors, by the way. This was his feature film debut. He was friends with Rock Hudson, and Rock Hudson asked William Castle to put him in a movie. And this is the movie he got. He got one scene where he gets his head lopped off. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so they go back to the house, and... They make a big deal that the daughter sees it, but like, yeah, the, it's <laughs> we we the mo- like, the mother goes away, but the daughter doesn't. It's she's yeah. so the mother comes oh, home. But they early. made the big mistake that the daughter was still awake, and it's like, yeah, but we see the mom kills them. <laughs> So and the second mistake was that the which really wasn't a mistake it was just something that happened a coincidence she came home early yeah they made one mistake in thinking that the child was asleep they made another mistake too 
Frank's wife, Lucy, had decided to come home on the evening train. And it talks about how she had been forced to marry the first guy she married who was older. Uh, they got divorced. No, he died. He died. Oh, He was okay. old and he died. Okay. And then she got to marry the man of her dreams. Turns out those were actually nightmares. Yeah. She so, married the $6 million man. Yeah. So then she comes in and they're both sleeping and it just shows Holy you. Holy fuck, I mean, right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a silhouette, silhouette against silhouette, the wall. But still. But you see her. Okay, there is so much fantastic imagery yeah. of Joan Crawford, who is our main character, I don't think we said, Lucy Harbin. Uh, she walks up and she's excited to be home early to see her husband. They're going to get their freak on. And she peeks into the window and she sees him asleep on the bed with this stranger. And so she goes to the axe, which was used to chop wood that's just outside, walks inside, and we see her carrying it. And it's just this great image of her carrying this axe. She walks to the bedside, and then we see it laid out. We see her, and then we see the silhouette of her and the two bodies in the bed. And she just lifts the axe up, another great image, and just slams it down, chopping off Lee Major's head. And you watch the heads, like, come off. And... Yeah, and then does the same thing to the woman. Yeah. This whole thing has been narrated, like Kelsey said, and I felt that the narration was a bit much. But it's mm-hmm. just a simple device to get us to present day. My mother, a murderess. And now you know. Cut to 20 years later. Well, no. Okay. Then we get a shot of Joan Crawford being put into a straitjacket, just screaming, I'm yeah. not guilty. It was a mistake. No! <laughs> and then, yeah, and then cut to 20 years later, and we meet the daughter, who we know from... Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. She's the senator who has... Where will she feel tickling, you know? <laughs> Um, <laughs> take that take thing back, back to Baltimore. <laughs> Amputate a man's leg and he can still feel it tickling. Tell me, Mom, when your little girl is on the slab, where will it tickle you? Take this thing back to Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, so she plays the daughter all grown up, and she was the narrator of the first part, and what she's doing is she's explaining to her boyfriend where her mother has been these past 20 years. She says that her mother is going to be released, uh, that she's ready to face the outside world. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about is the opening credits. Oh, yeah. There's these crazy paintings. Bizarre paintings of the violence and um, some depicting like heads split open, heads lopped off. Um, Screaming faces. Yeah, and, and metaphorical stuff, like a woman crouched down in a pool of blood, but it's like blood that's draining from heads that are gigantic. And it's it's it, like they paid somebody to paint some graphic paintings <laughs> for these opening credits. This is when I wrote down, because they stressed it in the beginning of the movie, I'm going to guess the daughter isn't as well put together as she appears. Mm-hmm. Pretty quickly, I was like, do you think it's the daughter? Do you think the daughter killed her parents? This is another one of those moments where Kelsey leans over and says something to me, and I'm like, I'm literally writing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> the mom comes home, Joan Coffer comes home, and she she looks old, and she's got her hair is all up in an old-fashioned bun. She doesn't have any makeup on. She's wearing a 
just a gray dress. Yeah, she's she looks old. And uh, she goes to hug her daughter. And at first, her daughter doesn't really seem happy to see her. But then, dramatically, she puts her hands on her back. And Joan Crawford gets this big smile on her face. And it's a very touching little moment. Yeah. And she she explains, you know, because she's been living with her uncle, Joan Crawford's brother. Yeah. All this time, and they they're on a <laughs> they're on a fucking farm. And you find out Joan Crawford actually grew up on her character grew up on a farm, and so she's just back to another farm. But she's obviously changed since since being locked up. Yeah, she talks about how she it upsets her to see the animals all caged up, and the daughter keeps saying multiple times, "Oh, it's just before they go to the slaughter." Right. And yeah, every they're... time she says the word slaughter, Joan Crawford gets this look on her face like. Thanks. Well, she's like, yeah, Joan Crawford's like, I can't see things uh, caged up like this. And she's like, oh, don't worry. It's not long. And then the butchering. Uh, <laughs> and then the same thing with the pigs. Yeah. And then we take them over there for the slaughter. Uh. <laughs> I just hate to see anything caged. It's not for long. We butcher them. It's sun- Come on, there's more to see. Not very tidy, is it? But necessary. You fatten them up for the slaughter. Let's let's look at the locker plant, shall we? We find out that the daughter is a sculptor. We also find out that Joan Crawford did some sculpting while she was in the insane asylum. Yeah, a little bit. And so that's something that they kind of bond over. And so the daughter reveals a present that she made for her, which is a bust of Joan Crawford's face. A very, very good bust. Yeah, but it's just of her head, and it's, like, with her neck with out. her neck out, yeah. So it's very, like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Another beheading thing? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a little graphic. This is also around the time that I thought maybe that Carol, the daughter, was actually the one who killed her father and the lover, and that Joan Crawford took the fall for her. Mm-hmm. This sculpture is actually a real sculpture of Joan Crawford. There was a, a European artist... Or Russian art, Yugoslavian artist that presented that to her like 23 years ago or something like that. Like it's a very old bus that she actually had already. And so they just reused that for this movie. Thought that was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. She talks about her fiance. She says that they are practically engaged. And that Michael, her fiancé, is going to come over tonight. And Joan Crawford is like, I'm not ready to meet strangers, not just yet. And the daughter says, but he's not a stranger. And Joan Crawford says, everyone is a stranger. I'm not ready to meet strangers. Not, Not just yet. He's no stranger. Everyone's a stranger. And then she takes out these bangles that her mother used to wear, and she jangles them. And it, it, when when Joan Crawford came in to lop off the heads, yeah, you could hear it jangling bracelets. the whole they time. They are some jangly-ass bracelets. They're yes. really, really loud. And she says, you see, Mother, I've never forgotten. And then she takes out a photo album, and she's like, let's look at this. And it's like, yeah, of course, that's what your mom wants to look at. Right. And well, okay, so to be fair, the jangling bracelets is more about, I remember the sound they would make when you would pick me up. Mm-hmm. Not the night of. Right. Right, yeah. 
And when Joan Crawford is talking about the fact that she was also a sculptor, she takes the knife and the and the daughter goes, mother, yeah. even though she didn't do anything with it. Uh-huh. And she like drops it like, oh, my God, you know, and it's like what? She's never going to hold a knife th- for the rest right. of her life. Mm-hmm. Apparently uh, she has problems with sharp objects as we see throughout the movie. <laughs> but so Michael comes over and Joan Crawford runs out. Like a crazy person. <laughs> and the daughter's just like, okay, I guess you're not going to meet her. And they, she's like, but I think I know where she'll be. And they go into the sculpting room, and there they find that the knife is stuck up in the photo album. The head of the father is cut out. Of all the pictures. Of all the yeah. pictures. Mm-hmm. And so, is she really ready to face the outside world? We don't know. So then the next day, the daughter says, we're going to have some fun. And she takes her out to get a makeover, so she goes to get new a new dress, but it's the exact same dress she was wearing 20 years ago when she killed her husband and her husband's lover. Is it? I didn't actually notice that. I'm pretty certain. Uh-huh. And a wig. That looks exactly like the same hair she Is had. it? I didn't notice that. I mm-hmm. feel like they would have stressed that a little bit more if that was the Well, case. no, because when she comes out, when she's wearing all this stuff, she says, you look just like you did 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And Joan Crawford goes, you know, is that what you want? Do you want me to look like I did 20 years ago? And she says yes. But then the daughter leaves her alone for a little bit, and she hears kids singing the nursery rhyme about Lizzie Borden. But instead of saying the name Lizzie Borden, they say... Lucy Harbin. Lucy Harbin. Lucy Harbin took an axe, gave her husband 40 West. When she saw what she had done, she gave his girlfriend 41. But when the daughter comes out, all she hears is them singing London Bridges Falling Down. Yeah, because there are some two girls outside playing jump rope. That night, Lucy wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, only to find the heads of her husband and his lover along with the axe in her bed and she starts freaking out she goes running into the bedroom of um of her brother and his wife and they're like calm down it's okay i'm sure it was nothing i'm sure it was a nightmare and she's like no it was real i saw it and then the daughter comes in carol and she's like well come on let's just go look and we'll we'll see the brother's like yeah let's just we'll go to the bedroom and so they go to the bedroom and nothing's there maybe it really was a nightmare. At this point, I was like, mm, Carol showed up and we didn't see where she came from. And is she's she, a sculptor. Yeah. Is she, and we know she can make heads. <laughs> right. Is she messing with her mom is what I was wondering here at this point. Mm-hmm. Maybe Carol didn't do it was my thought process. The mother actually did. And now she's tormenting her mother to get back at her. Mm-hmm. This is my thought process at this time. So then they go over to the house of the parents of Michael because the parents of Michael know that Michael and Lucy's daughter are dating. They are not aware that they are engaged. Or they want to get engaged. They're not technically engaged at this point. And so Michael and Carol go together. And there's some weird stuff with the dad, like... Oh, my favorite girl or whatever, yeah. Uh, He puts his arm around his son. He's like, what do you mean your girl? It's all in the family. Yeah. uh What? Yeah, that was really, really weird. (laughs) And then he's like, you want a glass of milk? Like, what is going on? Oh, yeah, because his his company, like he bought a milk company or something like that. So he just keeps warm milk out in a decanter. 
and that's what he drinks instead of scotch or whatever. It's really, really weird. They're like, well, we better go because they start asking about, well, we heard your mother is back. Where was she? And they're like, we're going to go see a movie. And they're like, what kind of movie? A murder mystery. Nice and bloody. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Carol tells Michael, she's like, you know, I really wanted to tell them about my mother. I don't want them to find out. I want us to be honest with them. Um, and he's like, don't worry. They'll meet her and then they'll see she's okay. And then we'll tell them. Then we get a, co- a private conversation between the mom and the dad of Michael, and the mom is very not happy about the fact that she wouldn't tell us about her mother. And the father is like, it's not our business. And she goes, anything that concerns Michael is our business. Right. Very, very protective mother. <laughs> so then Michael comes over to her house to meet the mom a second time. And this time, Joan Crawford is all done up. She's, like her daughter wanted her to be. drinking, there's jazz music playing on the record player. And, and she, she is hitting on Michael. She is coming on to him real strong. Right in front of the daughter. Yeah. And it's very uncomfortable and it's very strange. It's when I noticed that they actually are using, like, filters on Joan Crawford's close-ups. You know, like like the trope of old films. <laughs> where it's, like, a little bit softer on Joan Crawford's close-ups, but it's really sharp and crisp on everyone else. Mm-hmm. Trying to hide those wrinkles, trying to make her seem younger. So then she finds out that Dr. Anderson is coming, and that makes that's her doctor from the insane asylum, and that makes her really nervous, and she goes like, why did you send for him? And then she runs out again. She does a lot of running out of the yeah. house. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor shows up, and Joan Crawford acts like a crazy person. She turns up the volume on the music, and she's dancing, and she's clapping, doing anything she can to just ignore the doctor's presence. And it makes her just look like an insane person. And the doctor is very nice, and he's trying to find out, you know, like, are you doing okay? Is everything all right? And she's and she's trying to say that everything's fine. Um, and he's like, how do you spend your time? And she goes, knitting! And she picks up this thing. I guess she was knitting. What and are she you just, making? She's like, I don't know yet. And she just gets all involved in the knitting. and So that she, again, just trying to kind of ignore the doctor's presence. Yeah. Then she starts to, like, tear it apart. And she goes, oh no, my knitting, it's coming unraveled. Yeah. What a metaphor, what movie. What a metaphor. And um, they get into kind of a confrontation here at this point, And Lucy runs off. Again. Um, again. Again. And uh, the doctor, he talks to the daughter and informs the daughter, listen, I don't think she's doing so hot. I came by here. I'm going on vacation. The hospital asked me to stop by since it was on the way and do an evaluation. And I I don't think she's coping. I don't think she's ready. Uh, I didn't want her to leave in the first place, but the board voted to let her go. The daughter admits, you know, I'm the one that got her to wear the younger clothes. I'm the one that got her to put on the wig, etc. Maybe it's all my fault. And he says, yeah, perhaps you made a mistake. So the idea being that her dressing the same as she did 20 years ago. It's making her think the same thoughts and be the same person. And it's erasing was. all the work that they've done yeah. over the past 20 years to get her to the point where she can face the outside world. And so he decides she's not ready yet. We're going to bring her back. She says, please don't. It's really important to me to have my daughter, my mom here, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, maybe I should just take her myself. 
instead of having somebody come and pick her up. Right. And so he says he'll go find her and he goes to the chicken area where they slaughter the chickens. And there's the stump that they kill the chickens on. And he cleans. He doesn't find her there. He thinks he sees her there. He cleans his pipe out on the stump and goes to to pack it again. And he's leaning his head over the stump and down comes an axe and chops his head off. Mm -hmm. And we don't know where he goes, but Carol goes back inside the house and is startled by Lucy in the dark, who's just been sitting there in the dark. She's changed. She's changed back into her gray dress. Uh, her hair is back to the way it was. And uh, she goes, when I put on those clothes, something happens to me, something frightening. Carol, I'd do anything in the world for you. You must know that. But I can't go back 20 years. It's wrong. You've got to understand. When I put those clothes on, Something happens to me. Something frightening. The daughter goes, where's the doctor? And the, and Lucy Harbin goes, well, he must have left hours ago. Yeah, we had a good time. The conversation ended okay. <laughs> and, and the daughter looks outside. And she goes, his car is still outside. Yeah. And so Carol takes the car and drives it into the barn. And the mom is repeating herself, the doctor's gone, the doctor's gone, the doctor's gone, because she wants it to be true that he's left. Yeah. Um, but the farmhand sees Carol put the car away. And the next morning, Carol sees him outside painting up a car. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, painting my new car. Is there a crime against it? There are crimes for other things or whatever, you know, he says. And it's it's obvious that he found the car and he took it, claimed it as his own, and he knew he could get away with it because what is she going to do? Mm-hmm. What is she going to say? He stole the doctor's car? Well, where's the doctor? Mm-hmm. And the, the daughter is not happy with the way that the farmhand is talking to her. And at one point she yells, I want the truth. Yes. I was like, you can't handle the truth. Exactly. I was like, <laughs> I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. She's like, you're fired. And he's like, I don't think so. He says, you want to tell me about the doctor first before you fire me? Uh-huh. And she uh, just kind of stomps off, basically. Mm -hmm. Later that day. Michael comes over again. Yeah. And... He's saying, you know, she just needs love and affection. And she says, believe me, Michael, they will never accept her. Talking about his parents accepting her mother. Yeah. And because they're all going to go over there for dinner. But before they do. The farmhand gets beheaded as well. Mm -hmm. And at this point, they're trying to make it very clear that it is uh, Lucy because we keep hearing the jangling. Yeah. Every time somebody gets killed, we hear the jangling. Yep. So they're making it cl pretty clear at this point that it is Lucy. Also, they make it seem real easy to chop off a human head. And as far as I'm yeah, aware... Yeah, it's always in one swift motion. In no. real life, that would be very difficult. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have a spine there. <laughs> but uh, th what happened is the farmhand found the body of the doctor in the deep freezer 
and then he gets closed in there. And when his head is over the deep freezer or his head is over the freezer or inside the, the actual deep freezer room, head gets chopped off again mm-hmm. and then he gets shoved in there. But we see Lucy doing it because we get the silhouette again of her holding the axe up and chopping the head off. Mm-hmm. And so now this night we're going to go actually visit. Michael's parents and Lucy is coming along too. She does not want to. She says, I don't want to make a spectacle of myself in front of your young man. And the daughter says, he won't be my my young man for much longer if you keep hiding in corners. And that's what, basically the mother will do anything to make her daughter happy. Yeah. So she's like, okay then, fine. And she changes and they all decide to go. And they get into the car, and the Joan Crawford just has this crazed look on her face because she does not want to go. Yeah. And uh, the daughter is really uncomfortable. And the brother, the uncle, is just like, why is it so quiet back there? We're going to a party, not a funeral. <laughs> so they're at this dinner, and everything seems to be going all right when everyone but uh, Michael's mother and father wants to go outside and tour the grounds or something like that. And Carol says to Lucy, no, no, you stay here and relax. And now Lucy has to deal with the Michael's mother's interrogation. And things come to a head when she's like, where were you these 20 years? Oh, I was in uh, a hospital. Before that, uh-huh. before that, she says she makes the mistake of saying, I'm so glad they're going to be married. Yeah. And that is what sets like, off Like, sets parents. off Michael's mom. No, it's not going to happen. And Lucy's like, no, my daughter gets whatever she wants, and you are not going to stop that. She's going to live her dream the way I didn't get to. Mm-hmm. My girl is going to have what she wants out of life. She is. I was cheated. But she's not going to be. Not my girl, not Carol. Carol and Michael are going to be married. And nobody's gonna stop it! You'll see! She mistakenly says something about a sanitarium, and the mom goes, Sanitarium? Is that where you were? And uh, she goes, Was it? No! No, it wasn't! It was hell! 20 years of pure hell! So good! It wasn't just a sanatorium, was it? Was it? No! No, it wasn't. It was an asylum. And it was hell. 20 years of pure hell. It's very dramatic. She's <laughs> screaming. Uh, You'll never know how much I paid, but I'm all right now. <laughs> and so. And she runs out the she house runs again. Out the house again. Counted how many times she ran out of goddamn house. Yeah, and when everyone comes back in, they're like, "Hey, what's going on?" Oh, she she just ran out of the house, and they all go to look for her. And her older brother, he gets in the car and and he drives off with Michael to go look for her. And anyway, we see her running off into the down the street, and when a car comes by, she hides and doesn't get spotted. But she decides to turn back. And the mother and the father, Michael's mother and father, decide to turn in for the night, even though the mother doesn't want to. She's like, no, I want to stay up. I want to hear back from Michael uh, until he gets home. I don't want to go to bed. And he's like, dad's like, fine, I'm just going to go upstairs and get into my pajamas and I'll be right back down. 
And while he's getting dressed in his pajamas, in comes Lucy with the axe and kills him in his closet. The mother eventually comes back up going, what the hell? Where have you been? And finds the dead body in the closet and Lucy appears behind her with the axe, pulls it up to kill her and in through the door comes Lucy. (laughs) At this point, it's very obvious that it is the daughter wearing a mask. I mean, it's the only conclusion you could come to, but holy shit, if that wasn't a great mask. It's an excellent mask, but the fact that it doesn't move tells you it's not a person. (laughs) Because all we get is her like, arms going up and she's silent and she's got like this intense look on her face or whatever. And there's no reason for her to react to anything until Lucy comes back in and we see the real Lucy like reacting and the fake Lucy with no facial expression. It's like, Oh, it's a mask. And real Lucy fights fake Lucy down on the bed and rips off the mask and it's Carol. And Carol's like, losing her mind. Mm -hmm. And Lucy runs out again, goes down the stairs where she runs into Michael. And Michael's oh, like, what's going Michael. on? And Carol comes out wearing the same exact shit uh-huh. without the mask and is like, stop her. She killed your father. And da, 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 da. <sighs> And Lucy, just calm as can be, just obviously devastated and tired, just in kind of Michael's arms where he stopped her, just pulls up the mask and just hands it to him and just walks out the door. Mm-hmm. And... Michael's like, Carol, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. And she says, You've got to stop her. She tried to kill us all. I knew your parents would try to stop her. She's insane. I've planned it from the beginning. And she just kind of, she's just kind of screaming, uh, like, I hate you. I love you. I love you. I hate you. Yeah. I hate her. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Please. No, I didn't mean to hurt you. Please. I love you. I hate you. Lucy's outside and she starts sitting on the she sits on the porch and she starts like crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's this long winded like her of the daughter just screaming and being a crazy person about basically explaining that like your parents would never have let us get married. I needed to do this so that we could be together. It was all supposed to be blamed on my mom. But then she's, it ends with her just screaming, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. Yeah. Cut to a final scene where uh, we have Joan Crawford explain everything to us because we couldn't have possibly figured it all out ourselves. Bill, her brother, and Lucy are back at the house and they're just having a chat in the art room where all the sculptures were happening. And they explain fucking everything. The nursery rhyme that she uh, heard that day in the store was actually a recording. When she heard it later, when she had that nightmare, it was it was just on a tape player. So she wasn't hearing things. There was actually audio being played. And uh, the heads were molds. And the mask was made from the bust that Carol made. Uh, And so everything had this nice little neat explanation and tied up into a little bow. And Lucy tells Bill that uh, he wants to know where she's going. And she's like, I'm going to go visit Carol. 
She needs me now. Yeah. He's like, wait, why would you do that? And she says, for the first time in 20 years, I can be there for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And she's going to go visit her in prison or another sanitarium, I assume. And then it's the end of the movie and we get the Columbia logo beheaded. It was awesome. That was so cool. Yeah. The head is sitting at the base of, of Columbia, you know, the woman in the robes. I can't believe they would the do that up. in the 60s. That was awesome. That's something that you might see today. Yeah. But they did that back in 64. It was really neat. Totally cool. That is straight jacket. Kelsey, lightning round. So the uncle has a lot of silly dad lines. I already said the one about, you know, we're going to a party, not a funeral. Yeah. At one point, when oh, when Michael first is supposed to come over, the daughter says, where are the napkins? And he goes, I'll go get them if I can fight off the moths. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot about the napkins. Oh, the good ones. Yeah. Well, they must be in the linen closet. I'll get them if I can fight off the moths. <laughs> I remember that as totally a dad joke kind of thing. It's really cute. While they're preparing for Michael's first visit, we see a box of Pepsi on the kitchen counter. If you watched Feud, you know that Joan Crawford's uh, husband, uh, deceased husband, Alfred Steele, he was the CEO of Pepsi. And she was on the board of directors when she made a lot of her movies. And she had a writer on her contract that they had to feature Pepsi in the movies and they needed to have it like on set for people to drink and stuff like that. Like she was hard selling Pepsi (laughs) so much so that Dr. Anderson uh, wasn't an actor. He had never acted in a thing before in his entire life. He was the vice president of Pepsi. And because she had the ability to like, she had oversight over the script and all sorts of production issues. uh, She, made him that character and made that agreement with him before telling William Castle. At one point, Joan Crawford walks in on the um, farmhand about to uh, cut off a a chicken, a a chicken's head. (laughs) And what they talk about is pretty unimportant. He's just like, you want to try it yourself? And it makes her freak out. She's like, he's like, Oh, did I offend you? And she's like, no, I grew up on a farm. And he's like, well, then do you want to try? And she chickens out mm-hmm. <laughs> but the reason i bring it up is because there is so obviously just a picture behind them there's no set right yeah uh-huh. it's it's really bad it's very obviously somebody drew that yeah why do the rich couple have a copy of the mona lisa just like on their wall amongst other pictures <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i just noticed that it's like what why is that there <laughs> So when Joan Crawford is coming on to Michael, she has a lot of good lines. Uh, You didn't tell me he was that good looking. Uh She guesses what drink he'll have, and he says, no, scotch on the rocks. And she goes, oh, one of those. And I'm like, what is that supposed to Uh mean? What do we know about men who drink scotch on the rocks? (laughs) Your man is quite the charmer, and I'm just a country girl. And it's just... The whole scene is very, very uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Yeah. and she does a great job with it. Yep, uh-huh. She makes you really like, oh. I found it interesting that when we saw in the uh, brother and wife, the uncle and the mm-hmm. wife's room, they had separate beds. Did you notice yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. I mean, did people actually sleep in separate beds? Did they think they were fooling anyone? so bizarre when they first get to 
Michael's parents' house. Again, it's the dad. Uh, the wife gets out of the car and she goes, do I look all right? And the dad doesn't even look at her. And he's just like, yeah, you look great. <laughs> Very typical of a dad. And there we skipped. So when we first walk into Michael's parents' house, we get this really cool shot of Joan Crawford in this room. It's like a powder room. Yes. So they, there's a jump in time and they don't tell us what it's about. It just cuts to and we think it's like a hallucination or or a flashback or something. And we see Lucy in like this slip sitting at this makeup table or something like that. And there's it, it's remember in Sin City, the shots of Bruce Willis's character in prison. And how tall the bars went up and there was nothing on the outside of it. Imagine that. It's very, very much like that. But we find out it's just wallpaper. And in through the door comes Carol with the dress. Who's very eager to make sure it gets cleaned. Because she spilled something on it. Coffee. But before we know what's going on. It's almost like Joan Crawford like wakes up almost yeah. and like starts to freak out and yep. she's trying to get out and she's hitting the walls and that's what leads us to think that it's a hallucination. Yeah. It's really uh, it was, well done. It was beautiful, I thought. Mhm. It was very cool. All right, Kelsey. Yes. What do you think Straightjacket got on Rotten Tomatoes? 69. 80%. Wow. But only because there are five reviews and four of them are positive. <laughs> so it's not like we have a lot to work with here. There's not even a consensus review or anything like that. So at 80%, do you think it's overrated or underrated? A little overrated. I would agree. 80% is a little bit too much. What would you say it would be? I'd give it a 69. That's so funny. I was going to say 70. Yeah. It's an easy movie to watch. It's a fun movie to watch. Right. I mean, it's not that it's like an hour and a half long. It's compelling. I mean, you heard me talk about how my theories changed throughout the movie. It's a great mystery, fun little twist. It does keep you guessing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of really beautiful moments, all the silhouettes, that aerial shot uh, that we just talked about. It's, it's really well done. It's William Castle who did House on Haunted Hill. The original one and several other uh, movies, but also produced a lot of movies, including Rosemary's Baby. So, I mean, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's just, you know, it does some cool things with the shots. Like we said, the acting is fine. It's fascinating to There's watch. just not a lot to it, no, you know? I mean, it's it's fascinating to watch Joan Crawford. She, she does a great job. Like, she's just mesmerizing a little bit. Like, I wouldn't say that she's a great actress. Right. But she's just fascinating to watch. Yeah, she does a lot of interesting things with her characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why I feel she did so many movies. She just does little things mm -hmm. to really show her character. Yeah. But yeah, like, she's not a great actress. No. And. But iconic. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I mean it's a fine movie. It's 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 just not like I don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> not like I hated it, but just like I would never be like, let's watch Straight Jack, <laughs> you know? Would you? No, I don't think so. Yeah. There's not a lot to sink your teeth into. Yeah. I guess. I mean, maybe a few years down the road, I'll want to be like, hey, you know, let's see it. But there are plenty of other movies that came out around that time that I'd probably rather watch. 
All right. That was 1964's Straight Jacket. Before we get into our next movie, Slash Cards. Continuing with the holiday theme, what actor played the leprechaun in 1993's Leprechaun? I have to remember his fucking name. Uh, Wicket and Willow. Um, <laughs> Willow! Oh my god. I'm bad with names. You know I'm bad with names. He's a very distinct name. Like, I know him. I know who he is. <laughs> this isn't trivia I'm not getting. It's it's. I love that the, part the of my two brain names that, doesn't that you work. just said, Willow. I know. They're what? <laughs> I was even thinking that. I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a W thing. <laughs> Warwick Davis. There it is. There we go. Willow! <laughs> Willow! <laughs> Willow! Kelsey, this yes. is another personal question for you based right. on something that you like. Oh, okay. Who directed the 1983 film Christine? John Carpenter. That is correct. <laughs> Yeah, really surprising that he directed that movie. We personally really love Christine. I love Christine. So good and bad at the same time. I We've can't seen wait. it at least half a dozen times. <laughs> we love that movie. Um, and someday we'll do it on this show. Not too long. Really? Okay, cool. All right. Then moving on next from 2013, Mama. Mama. Directed by Andy Muschietti. And written by Andy Muschietti and Barbara Muschietti, a brother-sister combo who also made the short film that this was based on. And It, just the most recent one, they made It together. Um, and starring Jessica Chastain and Nikolai Koster-Waldau from Game of Thrones, Jamie Lannister. In dual roles. Yes. <laughs> like it wouldn't even fucking matter. It was kind of pointless. <sighs> it, it came up like once in the movie. And probably more importantly, I remember this being the huge marketing thing when the movie actually came out. And I didn't put together that he didn't actually direct it. Produced by Guillermo del Toro. And it actually has a lot of Spanish stars in it. Uh, including uh, one of the little girls who doesn't even speak English. And Mama herself. <laughs> uh, Guillermo del Toro produced this movie. So that's really why it did anything, really. Yeah. What is the premise of Mama, Kelsey? The premise is that two little girls are abandoned, basically, in this shack. Uh, they are taken in by an entity named, known as Mama. They are then found a few years later, and they are brought back to their normal lives it's about them becoming more accustomed to the normal world again. Yeah. Should people watch this movie? If it's on, if it's on, I would absolutely watch it. I would not suggest paying for it. It is available on the Fox services. So Fox and Fo FX Now apps. Uh, it's also available on DirecTV if you subscribe to that. But you can still rent and buy it in various places in the single digits. So... It's got a lot of cool shots, and uh, the little girls are great. Yeah. So, both of I'd whom, watch it if it was on TV. Both of whom appear in It. Yes. Yeah, they have small bit roles in It. All right, so maybe go ahead and see it. You can watch it like, like we did with FX Now and get commercials. And when we come back, we will talk about 2013's Mama. In this cabin, a terrifying event occurred. <laughs> 
how these two survived is unexplainable. You're gonna get hurt. Rated PG-13. Kelsey, what happens in Mama? So we open on a radio report explaining that there was a market crash. They're talking about the market crash of 2008. Mm-hmm. And that some people were killed at their at their office building. We see a man go into his house. We hear a shot. But we see a little girl playing with a baby girl. So Jamie Lannister comes in. And he gets his little girls and they get into the car. And uh, they're he's driving very fast on icy roads. And this little girl, who I think they say at one point was three years old, is like, Daddy, you're driving too fast, which is bullshit. Yeah. Like a fucking three-year-old would have any goddamn idea. And he crashes, and then he takes his daughters out into the snow, and they come upon a little cabin. And the little girl says there's someone inside. Like, she doesn't want to go in, but the father forces her to go inside and she says, you know, like, my glasses are broken, so she can't really see things. He takes them off of her. Yeah. Basically, we're led to believe that he killed the two people at his office. He killed his wife, I guess, because he just can't handle being poor that badly. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of explanation. And then he's about to shoot his daughter in the back of the head. And Mama shows up and swishes him away. And and the daughter, Victoria, she can't really tell really well what's going on because she doesn't have glasses. Mm-hmm. And she needs glasses. So she goes and she sits with her little sister in front of the dying firelight and a cherry rolls up. Yeah. During the credit sequence, we get to see these images that are like drawn in crayon on the walls, which basically tells us what happened. So they live with Mama... And th- they they do very dangerous things with their mom with this mom entity. climbing on top of the on top of the cabin roof and stuff like that. And all they live on is cherries, and like one of them shows Lily just vomiting up cherries. Yeah, it's it's very clear that the things that they do with Mama are not good. Uh, Lily learns to walk on all fours. Eventually, Victoria joins her. Mm-hmm. So cut to. Five years later. Five years later, and Jamie Lannister lives with his girlfriend, who right off the bat, first words out of her mouth, thank God I'm not pregnant. Right, yeah. Like, just slap in the face. (laughs) We should also explain that this is not the Jamie Lannister from before. This is his twin brother. Yes. Who has spent every last dime of what he got when his brother passed away which wasn't very much considering there was the market crash, but I imagine they sold the house and all of that stuff and spent it searching for the girls because they never found them. They just uh, disappeared. Yeah. Which is also a little hard to believe. I mean, his car went off a main road. Yeah, during the snow, maybe it got covered up and nobody saw it or knew to look for it or... Anyway... So he has these two men out in the woods looking for them. We meet his girlfriend, Jessica Chastain, who looks very different with dark hair. She has short, dark hair. Yeah. She looks very different because she normally has long red hair. And like I said, just thank God I'm not pregnant. 
I don't want children. That's who my character is. Yeah. That's going to be my arc in this movie. I'm in a punk band. And the only, the only two things you know about me is I don't want kids and I'm in a punk band. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and then really quickly after that, the two guys in the woods find them. And it's very obvious when they show them running around on all fours that it's a CG. It's not two little girls. They look cool when we get to see them because they've got like, you know, dirt and stuff. And, and their it, hair is all matted. And they look they look like the creature behind the diner in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> <laughs> kind of almost exactly like that. Lily can't talk. She never learned. Yeah. And Victoria, Victoria, remember, Victoria is like this genius child. Like I said, like she knew that well, her father she knew was how dry. to talk. She knew how to talk. She had a connection. She had a life. And that was taken from her. Whereas the younger one didn't really uh, didn't know any better. And so like this is the kind of the story of Victoria more than anybody. And it's the story of how when she has when she's living her normal life, she has glasses and she can see clearly when they crash and she's taken to this cabin, her dad takes her glasses away. That was him attempting, t- tearing her away from her real world and attempting to kill her. And then he gets snagged away along with her glasses. So she cannot see clearly these five years. And then she comes back into society where she's given new glasses and she can see clearly again. It's a metaphor, people. <laughs> and And she acts as this character that's like, she can remember what it was like before Mama, and she pines to keep this new life, this normal life. She realizes, oh, this is a whole lot better. It really wasn't okay when we were with Mama. Um, but they showed us that she didn't think it was through the drawings, because they always showed her right, crying. Right. No, no, she was reluctant to change, and eventually she was forced to, right? Mm-hmm. And so, out of necessity. And so now, she comes back to real society, and she's trying to embrace, she's the first one to, I mean, we're skipping kind of all over the story here, but there's not really much to tell. She's the first one to embrace Jessica Chastain's character. And, you know, she really, she hugs, what's his face? Yeah, so he is so... Her uncle walks in. They've been keeping her at a institution, and she immediately thinks it's her father because they're twins. Yeah, Daddy. Oh no, no, honey, honey, no! I'm, I'm not your daddy. I'm, I'm your daddy's brother. Remember, Uncle Luke. And he's like, no, it's your uncle, but it doesn't matter. She's just very happy to see him. And yeah, so then they keep them there for a little bit. And we get to see that Jessica Chastain is not excited about it. Uh, She basically quits her band. Like her bandmate is just like, you know, give it up. Like, just leave him. I can't. I can't do that to him. Mm -hmm. I love him. And this is very important to him. Mm -hmm. And I can't bring myself to to do it, even though I don't want this. This is not what I want. Um, And and so basically, (laughs) we, we skipped over the reason why she has to quit the band, which is the courts are trying to decide. Do the kids go with the father's brother or the mother's sister? Because they're 
both dead, right? But the brother's been looking for them for forever, but he's like flat broke. He's an artist. She's in a band. They don't have any funds. They the live mo- in a tiny little yeah. apartment. They have no money. The aunt is rich, but the doctor says, listen, I don't want her going across the country. I need her to stay with me. I need to continue studying her. So you give me access to her and I will let you use this home that we have that we purchased for case studies and that we use for that. And you can live in there rent free. And then I will give my recommendation that the kids stay with you. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the courts are looking for is a psychiatrist recommendation. And so now they are brand new parents to these two kids. Mm-hmm. It's really cute when they first walk in, Lily jumps in a box like a cat would. It was really cute. It was. <laughs> And they have the dog that they had when when they were babies. Uh, and Victoria his name is recognizes handsome. him. Handsome, yeah. He's a little dachshund. Yeah, he's so cute. No, we know doggy. Yeah, and that's the first time that we see Victoria smile, and that's when uh, Jamie Lannister smiles because he knows that he's done something right. Right. It's a very sweet moment. But. Lily is not transitioning so well. Basically, all she's ever known is Mama. Most of her life has been with Mama. And she that's ba- almost the only word she says is Mama. Mm-hmm. She, she sits in a corner while they're all eating at the table. She sits in a corner eating cherries. Yeah, she eats on the floor. She makes she a mess. She sleeps on the floor. She gets bruises all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this whole time, the doctor is trying to evaluate them and figure out what's going on with them. And Victoria tells him, no, Mama, we live with Mama. Mama took care of us. And he's like, who is Mama? And and she tells the story of this woman who is at a hospital, had a baby. They wouldn't let her keep the baby. So she stole the baby and then ran off. And they fell off this cliff and died. It was a long time ago. A lady ran away from a hospital for sad people. She took her baby. They jumped into the water. How could you know that story, Victoria? Did Mama tell you that story? She showed me. How? In a dream. He's like, what the fuck story is that? That's a really messed up story. And he starts to think that, kind of like last week, she's starting to fracture into different personalities. Mm -hmm. That she created this character of Mama in order to take care of herself and her sister because she was forced to and her brain couldn't handle that. And that's his theory. He still looks into it, though. Yeah, he looks into it. And he doesn't find anything in any of the hospitals, any records, until this woman who works in the archives is like, but there is this hospital who had a record of this woman. And, it and he's like, down. Yeah, he says this hospital doesn't exist. And she's like, it did in 18 something when it burned down. 1878. Yeah. And they're like. Or it closed or whatever. Yeah, it was it was condemned or, or what have you. And, and he's like, what the fuck? And this archive lady is really creepy. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Later on in the movie. She explains to him, all along, we're getting glimpses that Mama is real. We see Lily playing with something just out of sight. Oh, we know she's real. Right. We saw her take the dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we're getting little glimpses. Is she actually there? Is she like, 
is this a ghost? Is this a real person? We don't know. But it's a ghost, people. Come on. It's very obviously a ghost. And the woman in the archives explains that it's a ghost. And she hands the remains of this child, which are kept in these archives, where she says human remains shouldn't be left in on a shelf in a government archive. She asks him if, if he believes in ghosts, and he says, I don't think so. And, and she's like, a ghost is an emotion bent out of shape, condemned to repeat itself time and time again until it writes the wrong that was done. Do you believe in ghosts? I can't say that I do. When a corpse is left out, the elements wither it, desiccate it, twisting it into a distorted figure that's barely recognizable as a human being. A ghost is an emotion bent out of shape, condemned to repeat itself time and time again until it rights the wrong that was done. What's this? The wrong. And this is the story of the character of Mama, where she died horrifically in a great tragedy. She is now a, an emotion bent out of shape looking for her daughter. And she instead finds these two young girls. As Chris said, we catch these glimpses of Lily playing with Mama throughout the film. And it's really well done in that Victoria is then saddled with having to distract people. Right, because she knows Mama exists and she knows that Mama's going to be upset and jealous. And so she's she likes Jessica Chastain and she likes Jamie Lannister. And so she needs to protect them without ha- them figuring out what's going on and still managing to save their life. And one night, Jessica Chastain hears something, and Jamie Lannister is like, okay, I'll go check it out. And he starts to see this thing crawl out of the wall, and he's like, what? And then it pops out and pushes him back, and he falls over the banister, lands neck first on this rail, on on the stairs, and rolls the rest of the way down. It's pretty... It's brutal, yeah. Yeah, the crunching of the bones and shit. And uh, he winds up in a coma. And now Jessica Chastain is raising this kid on her own. The aunt comes by and is like, what's going on here? The bruises on this child. And she calls Child Protective Services and is like, what do I do if I think my nieces are being abused? And she's like, what kind of proof exactly? So we know she hasn't technically reported them yet, but that she's going to go looking for proof. So... Jamie Lannister wakes up out of his coma in the form of a dream. He he wakes up and he turns over and he sees this archway uh, for like a street, like it's un- under a bridge with a lot of brush everywhere. And he sees what he thinks is his brother. And it's this really fucking cheesy, <laughs> you know, head hanging down, arm pointing out like it's a marionette kind of thing. And it's like, you have to save my daughter's. You have to protect my daughters or whatever it is he says. And that's when he starts to like have convulsions and stuff like that. And the doctors come in and he's awake. At one point he's drawing. This is a little bit forward in time, but I'll tell it now. At one point he's just drawing stuff and he's still in the hospital. And he's like, oh, I'll be home tomorrow. And he's drawing the archway that he saw with where his brother was. And then he's like, I've seen this somewhere before. 
and they look in the case file from his brother's disappearance and he sees a picture of that and he knows it's at some pass or something like that. And that will become important in a little bit. Meanwhile, Jessica Chastain is still at home alone, raising these kids and she encounters mama, but for real this time, there are a few moments where like she has a a dream where she thinks she sees mama and then she wakes up and everything's fine. But this time she actually encounters mama and mama's going to hurt her. And Victoria's like, no, you promised you, you know, which makes no sense. At what point did they promise anything? And why? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so mama does, she leaves and Jessica Chastain's really freaking out. So yeah, mama leaves and instead she goes back to the cabin where the doctor is. Are we sure it's the cabin and it's not the hospital? Either or. And the doctor is is in this place looking to find whatever it is he can find. He's doing his investigation. He knows this woman existed. He knows there's the remains of this baby. And he goes back to the cabin to see what he can find. And it's pitch black darkness. He couldn't go during the day. And they've got this really, really cheesy thing where he's taking pictures yeah. And the flash illuminates this pitch dark room, and it's that same cheesy shit that we've seen a thousand times. It's it's a huge trope now. It's totally stolen from Rear Window. When uh, he's confined to his wheelchair, he uses his flash to stop the guy from coming after him. Yeah, instead of blinding him, and that's when we see something in the dark. Um, this is just for the audience's sake, so a guy yeah, can it's stumble around. Yeah, it's purely meant for uh, jump scares. Yeah, and that's what we get, and he is killed back at the cabin. But then Mother comes back to the house after killing the doctor, only to catch the aunt trying to break in and find proof of abuse, and possesses the aunt. Mm-hmm. And... Jessica Chastain figures out what she needs to do. Because all the doctor's stuff is there because he's been doing the testing there mm, or whatever. That's right. He saw Mama and that's why he went to the cabin and he ran off without taking his stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And that's why she has the box. And that's why she finds out where to go. So she goes there and... She calls Jamie Lannister and he's not there. And then she runs into him there because... He knew where to go, too. Because of the dream. Yes. And they happened to converge on the same place at the same time. And, yeah. <laughs> like, why he wasn't, like, was he was he um, let go of the hospital? Didn't somebody have to come pick him up? Like, there's no explanation to that. Why he felt it was more important to go there instead of going home. We don't know. But Mama has taken the kids and Jessica's like, we need to find these kids. Yeah. <laughs> she, well, she feels we, we, skipped, we skipped a lot of her arc. <laughs> We're going to talk a lot about it in the in, lightning in the round. round. We will, yeah. But she changes, and now she feels like she loves the girls. So they're going after them. And they, they go into the cabin, and that's where they see the ant. And then she just, like, collapses in a heap. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the fuck? And then... They end up making it out to the cliff where the woman ran off the edge of the cliff and mama's there and she tries to take the kids and they're like, no, we have your baby. And they give her the baby and she takes it. She hovers out over the edge of the cliff. And when she realizes that they're going to take the kids away from her. Well, because Lily shouts out mama. Yes. And kind of snaps her out of her reverie. She just 
throws the corpse like it's nothing and bones go flying basically saying that this whole story was bullshit not necessarily what she was looking for was her daughter right doesn't like that's a that's a that's some bones these are actual girls that she raised and so she she puts primacy on them so she goes to take them away she reaches into jamie lannister's chest and like stops his heart or something they don't explain it they also don't explain how he survives and it's this whole no it's because victoria tells her to stop she basically says i'll go with you if you stop right but she already killed ostensibly jamie lannister's character and was gonna go after jessica chastain and instead, she's like, no, stop, I'll go with you. And they go walking with her towards the edge of this cliff, and Jessica Chastain just won't give up. Refuses and she's like, to. She's like, no, go to sleep, just sleep, because Mama, like, just puts her hand on her head and just presses her head into the ground. And Victoria's like, just sleep, just sleep. And then they continue walking, and then she keeps going, puts her hand on her head, pushes it into the ground. Just, just go to sleep. But... As they're walking away, Jessica Chastain has grabbed onto the belt of the robe that Victoria is wearing and won't let go. And this is when Victoria is like, I can't, I can't go. And Lily's like, Victoria, come, mama, which is her refrain. That's like the only word she ever says throughout the whole entire thing. Yeah, she says it several times. Yeah. And she's like, no, Victoria, not come. Victoria, stay. (laughs) Victoria, stay. Victoria, come. Victoria, stay. Come. Lily, Mama, Victoria. No. Lily, Mama. Mama takes Lily instead and leaves Victoria behind and just plummets with Lily in her arms. And when they hit the branch... We never talked about this. The baby was caught in a branch and died. Which is why Mama was looking for the baby the Right, whole time. she didn't know where it was. It didn't fall into the water with her. And when they hit the branch this time, just shatters into butterflies. And butterflies are the symbol of Mama being around. Well, before it was moths. I don't know what the genus species <laughs> layout is there, but whatever. Basically, and, the ending is shit. And... Lily's disappeared too. She's gone but too. But a little butterfly lands on Victoria's hand, and she says, "Lily," and then it and then it like looks at her. Yeah, uh-huh. it's totally CG, and then it flies away, and it's it's so fucking dumb. And that's the end of the movie. I hate I hate the ending. I absolutely do not understand why Lily had to go with the mom. I don't get it. It's stupid. Well, it's a nice like little it. it's a nice little twist. What a twist. You know, on on what you would expect, which is everyone saved, especially not the youngest girl. But I think the the point is is that she has no place in this world and is better off with mama, I guess. I don't know. So, Kelsey, lightning round. I would like to talk about Javier Botet. He has a genetic disorder called Marfan syndrome. And he plays Mama. Aside from the flying and from the hair, Mama is almost entirely practical effects. It's just this man and his weird, twisted well, bone the structure. face. Well, he's wearing makeup. So that's why he has, he's really skinny, he's really tall, and he has long fingers. Those are his fingers that look like that. 
he can move a lot better than people with his condition actually can, so he does a lot of acting. He's played a demon before, more than one, or some sort of ghost. He was the leper in It. You might recognize his movements and his shape and all of that. He was the crooked man in The Conjuring 2. He was the xenomorph in Alien Covenant. He's in, like, every wreck movie. R-E-C, wreck movie. 20 bucks says he's the sister in Pet Cemetery remake. <laughs> Probably. That's my guess. I would guess so too. I don't think Jessica Chastain is a great actress. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to put it out there. So in the end, when first of all, the ending is not all that exciting. Right? It's played up like it is. I think I think it's banking entirely on how cool like the idea of seeing Mama like full-blown you see all of her and they don't cut away i think you're supposed to be like blown away by that the first time i really i kind of was like i really enjoyed that but other than that it's not really that exciting and so they have these moments of exposition where jessica chastain runs into jamie lannister and like is excited and freaked out and scared and where are the children? But she still has to like explain what's going on. And it's just the worst delivery. It's really, really bad. Yeah. Where are the girls? She took them. What? I saw her. She's real. What the hell's happening? She's going to kill them. We got to get to the cabin. She was here with them the whole time. Dreyfus knew it. It wasn't great in this movie. I mean, it's not her fault that the character is very one dimensional, but she did not feel like a real person. It felt like, here's a girl who oh. doesn't want anything to do with families. Now she wants to be in a family. And it's just like, oh. It seems like, you know, they made this short film and Guillermo del Toro was like, that's dope. I want you guys to make it into a movie. And they just did not have the wherewithal to do that in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of character development is meant for short films mm -hmm. and not a full feature length film. Mm -hmm. At one point. When they're sitting in the uh, hospital, and the Slap Chop commercial comes on. Yeah, and Lily's like, slap, 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 slap. Chop, 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 <laughs> chop, 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 <laughs> chop, 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 that's it. Yeah. Oh, it's so She's good. She's super cute. She is really cute. She does a really good job. She's the one who doesn't actually speak any English, and so they had to teach her just those words phonetically. Really? Yeah. Uh -huh. So that's how they made her. Okay, that makes more sense. There are a lot of things about this movie that make it clear that they're trying to make an updated dark fairy tale. Yes, which Guillermo del Toro is famous for. The problem is if you're going to do a fairy tale, you need to go full fairy tale like he does in Pan's Labyrinth. This feels more like The Devil's Backbone, where it's kind of gothic fairy tale, but not really. I, I think that movie is still better than this one, but neither of them are as good as Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth is fantastic. I don't remember much about Devil's Backbone. I think it takes it place bored in an me. orphanage. I and, remember yeah, the uh -huh. core premise, but I think I got bored real fast. Yeah. You can see it with certain shots. It's a little like think like Tim Burton fairy tale esque. Yeah. But again, it doesn't go full fairy tale. It holds back. And because of that, it just makes it seem like you don't know what you're doing. I think they really wanted it to be set in real life, but with fairy tale elements. But when you do that, it just looks like you don't know what you're doing. I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that I think I said in an earlier episode, I talked about how modern horror is cool horror. 
And that's what like Bloomhouse is known for. And uh, yeah, we were talking about Split. And I feel like this is them trying to do that. This is five years ago now. Early days of cool horror. The end of torture porn. So it's like they're trying and didn't really, really know how to do it. They did a much better job with It. I know you don't like It that much, but I think they did a much better job with It than they did with this. I mean, there, there's a bunch of little things. Basically, what it boils down to is the little girls are really good. Yeah. Lily is fantastic. She always seems genuinely really happy when she sees Mama. Yeah. Even though there are times when Mama can be cruel to her. Like, at one point, Mama is at the end of a hallway, and Lily is standing in the forefront, and she turns around, and she smiles at Victoria, because she's happy to see her mom, and Victoria says, don't look at her, she's mad. Yeah, she gets angry. And Lily doesn't care, you know? And I think that that's, I mean, that's how abuse happens, you know? Mm -hmm. You do enough to make the child love you, they'll accept it when you're cruel to them. Yeah. And I think they do a good job with that. And uh, yeah, every time she sees her, she gets this genuinely really cute smile on her face. Lily is a cute little girl. Yeah. And uh, Victoria does a great job. Like I said, there are several times where she she's forced to distract Jessica Chastain so that she doesn't come in contact yeah. with him, with a mama. And she does a really good job with being like, a little girl who's just doing her best to try and distract you, yeah. but she doesn't quite know how to do it right. I, I, she does a great job. But the two adult leads are just kind of blah. The doctors, eh. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Why would mama raise them for five years only to do the cliff thing now? She had them for five years. If her ultimate goal was to fall off the cliff with them, why did she do it I don't think it was now? her ultimate goal. I think at this point, so she's why is it left, a goal now? She's left with no other option. She knows that they're going to take the girls away again. So this is her way of taking them with her. I guess it just seems contrived for the purposes of the plot. Um, I just hate that Lily goes with her, yeah. especially since it's really cute. At one point, Lily's place is not in this world. I think that's what we're to learn. You'd think that, mm -hmm. but the story itself goes against that because it's there's a really cute moment. When Jessica Chastain wakes up to find Lily freezing outside uh -huh. and brings her in. Oh, that is really cute. That was great. I thought that scene was awesome. And the girl is screaming and trying to get away. And Jessica does everything she can to hold her down without hurting her. And at one point, she like blows on, her, on Lily's hand. To warm it up. And Lily looks at her. And she's never had anyone do that because Mama can't be warm. Right. Mama doesn't treat her like this either. Right. And so... It's she not looks love at her, that mama gives him, really. and there's this like really sweet like, and Jessica's like, "Oh, do you like that?" And she does it again, and, mm -hmm. and then, then Lily does, it, does it, to it to herself. It's really cute. Yeah. Uh huh. And then she goes upstairs and she uh, hammers up the window and says, "No more going out the window. If we want to go outside, we need to use the stairs." And she uh, she looks at Victoria. She says, "What do we use? We use the stairs." And then Lily says, "You deter." Okay. Door is good, window's bad. So if we want to go outside, what do we do? Use the stairs. Right. Lily? You did there? Yeah, that's excellent. Okay, let's go get breakfast. 
And so it's, it's showing really us weird. that Lily You're right. is. You convinced me that that is a bad ending. It is a bad ending. You're right. Or at least one that I don't like. I think it's supposed to tear you apart a little bit, but Lily's totally fine. She's not conflicted at all at the end. No, she is. When, when. Not really. She wants when to Mama go with Mama. When Mama's holding her. Mm-hmm. She goes like this because she wants Victoria. Yeah, uh-huh. But she she wants to go with Mama, though. Um, but I assume just because she doesn't know any better. But yeah, no, you did a good job of convincing me. Also, it's going to seem really suspicious that the woman that wanted to take the kids and the man who could let her take the kids are both suddenly dead. And one of the girls is missing. And there's been a call of abuse, although technically they weren't ever reported. <laughs> it's going to seem really fishy yeah what do you <laughs> what do happens after, after this <laughs> it, yeah yeah all right kels what do you think it got on rotten tomatoes 60 65 it got a 57 on metacritic the consensus review on rotten tomatoes was if you're into old school scares over cheap gore you'll be able to get over mama's confusing script and contrived plot devices do you think that is overrated or underrated Maybe a little overrated. What would you give it? Probably a 60. I was going to say 60 as well. Yeah. It almost dips down into the 50s, but the two little girls, they, they're they save so, it, totally. They're so cute and sweet, and you just want to take care of them. Uh, we also didn't talk about how you kind of do see Mama in the, the flute painting in It. Oh, yeah, it's basically her when you, now that you say <laughs> Just that. with her hair all done up. Maybe that's why I hated it yeah. so much. It reminded me of this. I, I could not find the credit for that woman, even though Javier, whatever his name is, is listed as the hobo. So I don't know if that was him or not. But totally, totally. That was 2013's Mama. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? We've got some serial killers to watch next week. Yeah. yeah. I think Chris is going to have a heyday next week. Yeah, I love these movies. We're going to watch Seven. Woo! Love and Seven. Zodiac. Yeah! Oh, this is a week for me. This is a week for you, baby. This is totally my week. Yes. Because fucking... Fincher? Oh, Fincher! Yeah, because... I just realized it's a Fincher yes, week. Because David Fincher is one of my favorite fucking directors ever, and I am really, really excited for this. This was totally by chance. It was. We were going to watch another movie entirely called Fear the Dark from 2001, but we just couldn't find it. Find it. Like, it's just not available anywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to watch Seven and Zodiac, two David Fincher movies about serial killers. Super excited. Oh, man, I'm so jazzed. This is going to be an eight-hour episode. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we tried to get through quickly on this one. We, hope we did. Works. I have no idea how it's going to end up. but Chris just rushed us through, Mama. It's the plot. There's, like, nothing there in the plot. There's, like, nothing there. <laughs> All right, then. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. We need to have a supernatural check-in. Supernatural check-in. Carry on my we needed to have a supernatural check-in this week because we finally got to the episode which started the whole reason why we needed to see the show. My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple references. Uh, the best one is at one point they've got a heart in a box and Dean turns to Sam and says, be my Valentine? And Sam kind of looks at him like, huh? And Dean's just like, 
I don't fucking know. Almost like he's making fun of his own movie, which was pretty great. This episode came out after the movie. So yeah, it was totally a reference to him being in My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. And I mean, there's a couple of other references. I was really excited. I thought they'd do more with it. The beginning of the episode is all about like Valentine's Cupid, right? Day. Yeah. And then it completely shifts gears towards the yeah. end. So, um, but yeah. so we got there. So we and finally got to the the episode that's that got us to start watching the show. Right. And this is so this is about halfway, a little bit more than halfway through season five. So we're almost through season five. We just got to get through it. Mm-hmm. But we've also had some really good meta episodes. Like there's a oh supernatural fan convention. Oh, my God. Which, that episode was so good. It was fantastic. I love when they reference their fans. Yes, the prophecy episodes are so good. They are fantastic. And I don't give a shit that they're making fun of me at all. No, not at all. Not I at all. love it. Kelsey's only problem is that Sam always gets oh the girl God. obsessed with him and not Dean. Dean it is so it. unfair. <laughs> Dean got stuck with the dudes. <laughs> like, I get that Dean sleeps with a girl almost every episode, right? I get that, but, like, we hardly ever see it. It's always just a wink-wink. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably had sex at some point. Yeah. Uh, but Sam is the one that always gets the girls that are, like, actually interested in, like, flirting with him, and Sam always has to be the one that's trying to fight him off. Dean, on the other hand, just meets a slut and has sex with her, and right. it's just so fucking unfair. I want there to be an episode where there is a fangirl obsessed with Dean so I can live vicariously. (laughs) Is that so much to ask? Maybe it'll come in the coming seasons. (laughs) And that was our supernatural check-in. Yes. There'll be peace when you are done. Next week, again, we are watching Seven and Zodiac two fantastic David Fincher movies, so you should go ahead and watch in anticipation. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. Leave a comment there if you want to, to share your thoughts on the movies or recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Sometimes I'll add comments that we think of after the mics are off and while I'm editing. Kelsey will sometimes get trashed and live tweet a random horror movie. Don't forget, of course, as always, to rate, review, subscribe on whatever service that you use. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you doing that. We appreciate you listening. We are having a blast doing this, but it is a kind of a lot of work. And so we really appreciate that there are actually people out there listening. So thank you oh so very much. And don't forget to share with your friends as well. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Any parting wisdom to share with the audience, Kelsey? Remember, listeners, everyone's a stranger. I'm sorry, mama. I never meant to hurt you.
I said, I'm sorry, mama. I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to make you cry. But tonight I'm cleaning out my closet. Straight Jacket, written by Robert Block, directed by William Castle and starring Joan Crawford, Diane Bacon. Bacon? Bacon. <laughs> Lucy Harbin, born and raised on a farm. Parents poor, education meager. Very much a woman and very much aware of the fact. Lucy Harbin took an axe. I'm not going to say it. I'll just play it. Here. Okay. Yeah, I'll just play it. Plus, Mommy Dearest is way over the top. <laughs> no more wire hangers. <laughs> Mama. 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 But I fucked up. They are then found a few years later, and they are brought back to the real world, the normal world, the average world. What am I trying to think? The urban world. Basically, we're led to believe that he's the one that- Jesus. <laughs> what was that? It was an ad. What are you doing? Looking up the Metacritic rating. Dude wakes up from his coma. I'm ready for that. You can't get out of the coma yet. You gotta talk about the dream he has. That's him waking up out of the coma. Well, go then. <laughs> Lucy Harbin took an axe, gave her husband 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave his girlfriend 41. <laughs> 